Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag covers guns news with an unabashed slant. We are against 104 gun deaths every day in the United States. I'm Virginia Vitzdu. And I'm Maria Luisa Tucker. Before we get going, I would like to encourage our listeners to support this station in public radio by becoming a BAI buddy. What's a BAI buddy, Luisa? Thank you for asking, Virginia. A BAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by signing up to give a small donation every month. If everyone chips in a small amount, it helps keep the lights on here at WBAI and allows us to bring you this show every week. It's so important to support, support community radio like WBAI and shows like this one. We exclusively cover gun violence prevention, something I don't think any other radio show does. This week we're talking about social media, hate, and mass shootings. It's starting to feel like a nightmarish pattern. Someone broadcasts their hate and their intention to kill online, and then they actually do it. Fifty people killed in two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. And here in the U.S., 11 killed in the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, 17 killed in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, 9 murdered in a church in Charleston, South Carolina. Afterward, all the hateful, threatening posts on social media and message boards get reported on, and we're left to mourn and wonder, why wasn't this prevented? Later, we'll dig into one controversial proposal that tries to address that. It actually comes from right here in Brooklyn, where we're taping this show. Before we get to that, we'll start with our In Memoriam to remind us why we do this important work. About a thousand people showed up at Joyce Feinberg's funeral last fall. It was an indication of two things, the number of people's lives she touched and the tragedy of her death. She was among the 11 killed at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Six others were injured that October morning. Joyce was 75. She had messy gray bangs, a big smile, and wire rim glasses. She looked like an intellectual grandmother, which she was. For more than three decades, she had worked as a research specialist at the University of Pittsburgh. She studied how students learn and effective classroom instruction. Her employers called her an engaging, elegant, and warm person. She retired in 2008 and turned to volunteering. Her husband, Stephen, taught at Carnegie Mellon University, and he and Joyce welcomed many students into their home. And one of those students, Jason Connor, said Joyce loved her role of being a mom to all of them. Joyce took on more volunteer work after her husband died of cancer in 2016. She volunteered at Family House, which helps patients and families who travel to Pittsburgh for medical care. She'd attended Tree of Life for 30 years and had recently joined the board. She took that responsibility seriously. She went to services almost every day and gave rides to other congregants. In fact, the morning of her death, she and the other worshipers who were shot were there early to prepare the temple for services. Joyce is survived by a brother, two sons, and six grandchildren. She mastered social media just to stay connected to those grandkids, who ranged in age from 8 to 15. Joyce's family has been flooded with calls from people around the world saying they'd lost a dear friend.
Like so many of the mass shootings we've seen recently, Joyce Feinberg's shooter was in the habit of spewing hate online. He told us what he was going to do, and no one stopped him. Right. For better or worse, we don't live in a world where all our online communications is under police surveillance. There is no automatic way for cops to be pinged every time someone makes a credible threat on 4chan or Facebook. But there is certainly more that law enforcement should be doing to keep an eye on people who are known white supremacists, especially if they own guns. Which brings us to our next report. Here in Brooklyn, we have a couple politicians who are proposing a way to prevent guys like the Pittsburgh shooter from being able to buy any guns in the first place. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams and State Senator Kevin Parker are proposing changes to the state's gun licensing application. And just for some context, in New York, you can be denied a gun license if you've been convicted of a felony or serious crime. You also cannot get a gun if you've been involuntarily committed to a mental health facility or had a mental health professional report that you might harm yourself or someone else. Right, that's from the new uh, red flag law. Adams and Parker want to add one more check to that. They want law enforcement to review the social media accounts of anyone applying to buy a gun. Louisa and I sat down with Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams to talk about that idea. Shots rang out just before 10 a.m. The chaos unfolding at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. The shooter social media rife with anti-Semitic messages. On the social networking site Gab, the suspect profile page read, quote, screw your optics, I'm going in. Just two days after the Pittsburgh shooting, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams began publicly calling for police to review the social media accounts of anyone applying for a gun license in New York. He said the idea came from his constituents. Uh, people started to call and talk about how was this person able to have uh, such a large broadcast of his hate, but still able to buy a gun. And once I heard the calls and the emails that I received, I said, you know, there's something here, they're right. And that is why I reached out to Senator Parker. So Adams, a former New York senator himself, calls up his buddy, Senator Kevin Parker. The two of them quickly put together a bill that Parker introduced last fall. That bill has been tamed a little bit in the new version, which was introduced in the current legislative session, but the idea is the same. When any New Yorker applies for a handgun license or tries to buy a rifle or shotgun from a licensed dealer, they would have to go through a social media review. Law enforcement would look at three years of the applicant's Facebook, YouTube, Gab, Twitter, and Instagram history. The review would flag excessive discriminatory content or content likely to incite or produce a violent action. What that means exactly is still being defined. And now we will be reaching out to psychiatrists, uh, behavioral scientists, social workers, criminal experts on what are we looking for that would be an indicator that this person has a propensity towards committing some, some form of violence. Any type of hate rhetoric, uh, a person who has exhibited any form of calling for violence on another person, a person who has a history of bullying, uh, a person who experienced or displayed some form of a mental health disorder. I think those are some of the areas that, that we need to look at, but other experts that understand uh, social profiles better than me need to weigh in and make sure we me- we're making the right decision. Of course, there are a lot of criticisms of a proposal like this. It brings up all kinds of First Amendment and privacy concerns. 
It could be considered a violation of privacy since it would essentially force people to make their private accounts public, and it could put a chill on free speech. After all, hate speech is not against the law in this country. But Adams says spewing hate speech should automatically disqualify you from some things, and that includes owning a gun. I think society has an obligation to ensure that we never restrict one's right to speech, but we have the authority to restrict who we allow to carry a weapon. Again, people should have the right to say what they want, but with that right comes certain responsibilities if you want to do certain things. If you want to be a police officer with the right to have the authority to arrest someone, take away their freedom, or carry a firearm, you can't have on your social media profile uh, hate rhetoric. Uh, if you have on your social media picture what you standing with your Ku Klux Klan attire on, you have a right to wear that attire, but you don't have a right to wear that attire and be a, a law enforcement officer. The idea of social media reviews ties into New York's new red flag law. The red flag law allows law enforcement, family members, or school officials to ask a judge to confiscate someone's guns. So if your brother or a classmate or an ex-boyfriend is posting alarming threats on their Facebook page or telling you that they want to shoot up their workplace, you can do something about it. You can actually get the courts to confiscate their guns, at least temporarily. Of course, the judge needs evidence that there's a good reason to take away a person's guns, and part of that might be internet posts like the hate speech that previewed the shootings in Charleston, in Pittsburgh, and in New Zealand. Adam's proposal could keep white supremacists like them from ever getting guns in the first place. It does make sense, but there are still a lot of questions that would need to be answered. What exactly would get someone denied a gun license? If someone was denied, would they be able to reapply later, or is it a lifetime denial? And why aren't message boards like 4chan and 8chan included? Those are the ones the New Zealand shooter posted to, the ones that are known for hosting all kinds of hate speech. Or YouTube, where the Parkland shooter announced that he wanted to be a professional school shooter. And, of course, would it even work? The whole concept relies on applicants' honesty. They'd have to disclose all their social media accounts to the cops. How would law enforcement know if a gun license applicant had other social media accounts in different names? Ostensibly, all these questions would come up if it actually moves to the Senate floor for debate. This is Marie Louisa Tucker for Radio Gag. Uh, so confusing. I'm... I'm all for anything that leads to fewer guns and fewer hands, but predicting what a person will do by reading their Facebook, that's, uh, that's iffy. I mean, people do joke about wanting to kill someone. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and I also would worry about the potential for law enforcement to use this new power to deny gun licenses to their critics. Like, would Black Lives Matter activists be denied gun licenses? Did Eric Adams say anything about that? I brought it up, and he basically said that cops shouldn't retaliate. Um, but if a BLM member says he wants to shoot cops, that is perfectly good reason to deny him a gun license. And I should mention, Adams himself is a black person who has been a vocal critic of some police tactics, like stop and frisk. Uh, he's a fascinating guy. I mean, he himself is a former cop who owns three guns. And... Hasn't he said before that people should carry guns into places of worship? Yeah, sort of. After the Pittsburgh shooting, he said that off-duty cops like him should be bringing their guns into church or mosque or synagogue or temple with them. 
I think, you know, like so many of us, he's just really shaken by all these hate crime massacres. But he has been an advocate for tougher gun regulations for a long time. Um, And, you know, this is an interesting and tricky area, so I'm curious to hear what our listeners think. Should we be encouraging law enforcement to pry into social media to keep us safe? Or is this a slippery slope toward total online surveillance? Tweet us at GagNoGuns and give us your take. Meanwhile, today in the U.S. Senate, they're actually talking about a federal red flag law, and our gag comrades are down there supporting that. Or actually, they're on their way back, and they'll be calling in in a few minutes with a live uh, report later on in the show. But first, we would like to bring you some good news from both near and far about laws that are being reinterpreted or changed to prevent gun violence. The families of the people killed at Sandy Hook may have finally found a way to break the chain of death. Earlier this month, the Connecticut Supreme Court overturned a lower court and ruled that families of the people murdered at the elementary school in 2012 can sue Remington, the gunmaker. The Sandy Hook killer used a Bushmaster AR-15 semi-automatic rifle made by Remington to murder 20 children and six educators. The plaintiffs allege that Remington recklessly marketed the Bushmaster for illegal offensive purposes. They pointed to creepy ads that seemed to prey on disturbed young men. One ad for the Bushmaster read, Forces of opposition bow down. You are single-handedly outnumbered. Another said, Consider your man card reissued. It's an interesting collision of two laws. Gunmakers have successfully defended themselves against any lawsuits for years with a 2005 federal law called the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. That law offers pretty much complete protection to gun manufacturers. Former NRA head Wayne LaPierre called the law the most significant piece of pro-gun legislation in 20 years. But the Sandy Hook families got around that using the Connecticut Unfair Trade Practices Act. That law prohibits companies from unscrupulous sales tactics. The plaintiffs argued that Remington's ads for the Bushmaster promoted unethical and illegal use of the weapon, an unfair trade practice. In the court decision, the majority wrote that Remington's ads communicated that the gun would enable a shooter to inflict unparalleled carnage which is exactly what the Sandy Hook shooter did. Unfair trade practice acts exist in many states, and they haven't been applied to gun manufacturers before. Federal judges are divided on whether the 2005 pro-gun law can be overridden by more general trade and advertising laws. For that reason, this case is expected to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Unless the Supreme Court overturns the Connecticut decision, the next step would be to go before a jury in Connecticut. There, the plaintiffs would be able to seek discovery. That means digging into Remington's documents to see the thinking behind how they market their guns. This is huge. Plenty of other big industries have been revealed as liars when their internal documents came out. Nicole Hockley is the mother of six-year-old Dylan Hockley, who was killed in Sandy Hook. She explained their strategy to NBC News. 
The next step is we move into discovery, uh, and that is going to be fascinating because that means we will have access to the internal documents within Remington. What were their sales and marketing strategies? And that will, will show that they need to be responsible. It's not about making them stop manufacturing the guns. This is about holding them accountable and responsible, much, much similar to the tobacco industry years ago who had to change their practices. Now for an update from New Zealand. There, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern showed the world what leadership looks like. Less than a week after the massacre of 50 people in two mosques in Christchurch, she announced a ban on assault weapons. Today I'm announcing that New Zealand will ban all military-style semi-automatic weapons. We will also ban all assault rifles. We will ban all high-capacity magazines. We will ban all parts with the ability to convert semi-automatic or any other type of firearm into a military-style semi-automatic weapon. We will ban parts that cause a firearm to generate semi-automatic, automatic or close to automatic gunfire. In short, every semi-automatic weapon used in the terrorist attack on Friday will be banned in this country. Prime Minister Ardern says the new law should be in place by April 11th. Unfortunately, mass shootings are often followed by a rush to buy guns, but Ardern is preventing that by putting into place an interim gun licensing requirement. It makes buying those soon-to-be-banned guns virtually impossible. She also instituted a buyback program for assault weapons. At the end of her historic announcement, Ardern returned to the same theme of unity she's been sounding since the attacks. We do have guns in New Zealand that are used for legitimate purposes by responsible owners. I've been steadfast in my belief that the vast majority of these owners will support what we are doing here today because it's about all of us. It's in the national interest and it's about safety. I will work hard to retain that support as we work on the remaining tranches of reform that we must make to prevent an act of terror happening in our country ever again. Oh, America loves you, Jacinda Ardern. Um, this is Gays Against Guns radio show on WBAI. I'm Virginia Vitsdoom. And I'm Maria Luisa Tucker. Oh, this work is so intense. There's such good news and then such horrifying news. Uh, since this week we're talking about social media and mass shootings, we need to talk about the Parkland shooting, which had a tragic coda this week with two survivors of that shooting killing themselves. And then the um, father of a Sandy Hook child also committing suicide, which I think just illustrates that... Um, the numbers are even more than the 104 killed every day. It just ripples out into families and communities, and that's why um, we do this work. Yeah, it's just so heartbreaking to keep reading about the shootings and then, as you say, the ripple-out effects. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one reason why we want to keep covering things like the red flag laws, which are being passed in a lot of states, so it's park, the Parkland shooting massacre did spur several states, including Florida, to pass red flag laws. Those are also called extreme risk protection orders. And in red flag states, courts are allowed to tempor temporarily confiscate guns if somebody, usually law enforcement, but in, in some states also family members and school officials, if somebody basically tells law enforcement that that person poses an imminent threat. 
such important legislation. So many people in Parkland were concerned about that shooter's behavior before he went on his killing spree. He had posted all sorts of threatening messages on YouTube and Instagram, repeatedly writing that he wanted to kill people with his AR-15. Right, and the FBI and local law enforcement were alerted multiple times about him, but frankly, they just did a very bad job responding in any meaningful way. So red flag laws are important because they give some agency directly to the people who know a gun owner who seems to pose a threat. And I also want to point out that it's a threat to others, but also if someone seems to pose a threat to themselves, if they seem like they're self-harming or suicidal, um, these red flag laws can go into effect. So these are laws that, that are gaining popularity even among some Republicans. And yes, yeah, statistically so far, they have prevented more uh, suicides than homicides. Um, and uh, even a Republican has gotten uh, onto the act, which is unusual. Uh, South Carolina's Lindsey Graham, new um, head of the Judiciary Committee, held hearings today on a red flag laws. Um, 14 states and Washington, D.C. now have red flag laws. Most of them passed in the last year. And some are pending in 20 other states. Graham and Blumenthal's proposal would incentivize states to pass such laws and provide guidelines to make them more effective. But don't take it from us, Kathy Marino-Thomas and some other gaggers were down in D.C. at this hearing, and they are here on the line with us. Hi, Kathy. Hey, Virginia. Hey, hey, hey Kathy. Um, where are you? We are, that's a really good question <laughs> at the moment. Delaware? Where are we? Uh, <laughs> we're in Gunpowder Falls, oh, perfect. <laughs> Maryland. <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> Trying to get gas on the way home. <laughs> well, so what, what was your takeaway from the hearing today? What happened? Well, it was a blow smoke up your skirt kind of hearing. Uh-huh. But it was a good first step. Cory Booker came out swinging. He oh. said everything we were thinking about and wishing was going to be put on the record about how um, he can't believe that he sits in a Senate that refuses to act on this issue. Beautiful. He was really on fire and kind of amazing today. That's fantastic. Um, what was we got the to heckle Lindsey Graham. We had a gagger arrested um, by, uh, for shouting at Ted Cruz to do something in the middle of the, uh, of the hearing. It was really a really super activist type activist day. And didn't you guys go in with, with um, images of people who'd been killed on your shirts? No, uh, we did not uh, have to do that. We took HBs all around the Capitol instead. We, were, uh, we, we wore uh, gag-related messaging, gun violence is a he uh, public health epidemic, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it was really well-received. We met a lot of coalition partners while we waited on the line. Fantastic. We did some interviews. We, uh, we talked up Radio Gag. <laughs> Yay! Um, and we and got some... Uh, some of the other GVP groups want to co-host with us, so it's really great. Wonderful. And so what do yep. you think is the fate of this law? Uh, I don't know. You know, they're kind of... We also heard on the other side of the issue, a couple of senators speak about how 
we need to protect the rights of gun owners. So while we were encouraged by the hearing, we were discouraged by those comments. So it's a wait-and-see game still. And we were hearing a lot of NRA talking points from one of the witnesses in particular, which Maisie Hirono did call out at the end of the hearing. I love her. Um, and it was um, it was the otherwise usually quiet, demure Mary Ellen Novak who went to jail? <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, no, I was the one that uh, Kathy alluded to. I was Great. very, very happy to have the opportunity to stand up and look at Ted Cruz right in the eye and tell him to end it. Enough. We're done with uh, we're done with his complacency. And also to on purpose, like, thank Jacinda Arden for her uh, courage to really show everybody what a real leader looks like. Oh, thank you guys so much. We have to uh, we have to sign off now, but thank you so much for being in D.C. You're our heroes. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> if you want to be on the next bus to D.C. with those fun people, you should join Gays Against Guns. Um, we meet every other Thursday at 7 p.m., at the LGBTQ Center on 13th Street in Manhattan, just west of 7th Avenue. Our next meeting is this Thursday, where we will be planning all kinds of great actions and protests. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag events. And another great way to get involved is by becoming a BAI buddy. A BAI buddy can show some love to this show and everything that WBAI does by signing up to give a small donation every month. It keeps the lights on here at WBAI and allows us to keep bringing you reporting on gun violence. You can go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602. Okay, um, we finish out the show with um, music, but before that, we salute our heroes uh, with our hell yes. To the lawyers for the Sandy Hook families for holding the gun industry accountable for the culture of gun violence in this country. Hell yeah! To New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and the Parliament for banning assault rifles. Hell yeah! To the activists all over the country who are fighting for red flag laws, including our own gaggers who road trip to D.C. today. And Mary Ellen who took a bus. <laughs> Hell yeah! Thanks for listening. We are back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. And you can listen to our previous shows at the WBAI website at gazeagainstguns.net or by subscribing to the Radio Gag podcast on SoundCloud. The music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions, beautifully put together by Louisa. And we want to leave you with more great music from our sister singing quartet, Sing out Louise, this one with lyrics by Kimberly Miller. And when you go off, we feel sickened inside.